What I'd like to do tonight is chapters 13 and 14 of Tanya. And to a degree, not entirely, but to a degree, these are like, uh, this is like a sort of a technical class in the scheme of our greater learning. The last three classes, which we did before Pesach, we talked about Tzadik, Rasha, and Benyani. And um, the, the labels that we attributed to each were, we called the Tzadik the inspired person, the Rasha the compromised person, and the Benyani is not inspired, but he isn't compromised. When a person is inspired, so they don't make mistakes. Right? Just like when a person, when it comes to physical things, right? When it comes to earning money, you don't forget to earn money if you want to. <laughs> right? Whatever it is that you enjoy, somehow happens. Teire mitzvah Yiddishkeit, because it's spiritual and God is invisible, sometimes becomes uninspired and it becomes a drag. Tzadikim are inspired about Yiddishkeit the way we're inspired about money, for example. I just saw that recently in Tanya. So somehow Yiddishkeit gets done. The Bain and the Rasha are uninspired. They lack that passion. And as we discussed at length three weeks ago, the Tzadik's inspiration is from the Neshama. It's a gift from God. The Rasha, because of his lack of passion, is compromised. Compromise means he does things that are wrong. He doesn't have to do many of them. But he gives in. The Benini is uninspired, but he's also one compromised. That means to say he doesn't give in. That's the bottom line. The Benini is uninspired, but the Benini is uncompromised. That means to say he doesn't do Avedis. Which, for all intents and purposes, means that although the translation of the word Benini means average, there's nothing average about a Benini. Troubled by the word uninspired for vanity, because I'm thinking that you know clearly he has to experience some passion, like Balchu. Wait, wait! I'll give you a moment. Give me a moment. The way we explained the life of the Benini is that we described him as a person who has booms and busts. He's moody. He's not a consistent person. Obviously, a Benini is inspired. If a Benini has no inspiration, nothing happens. However, the inspiration of the Benini is not consistent. Why? Because since he has the Yetzir Hara, he's got another inspiration. When he focuses on God, he can get inspired about God. And when he focuses on pizza, he can get inspired about pizza. And when he's not focusing on anything, he can get inspired without intent also <laughs> about stuff. Usually not about God. So the Benini's life is defined by flux, by change. The terms in the Tanya were a king versus a dictator. When the Benini is inspired, he's a king. And when the Benini is between inspirations, he's a dictator. That means to say, when the Benini is davening, and he invests everything into his davening, and creates an incredible amount of passion, he's a king, he's like a tzaddik. But when the tzaddik finishes davening, it doesn't go away because he doesn't have the Yetzir Hara. The Benini finishes davening because he's got another inspiration, the Yetzir Hara. So as soon as he finishes davening, the alternative, the ulterior, the, the, the other inspiration rears itself. And as a consequence, uh, his inspiration during davening does not last. So what he does is he survives. A Benini is like a surfer. You know, he rides the waves and he survives the crests. He uses the times of davening to inspire himself incredibly and to carry him through the lean times, the difficult times. And the Benyanese knows one thing, there's a bottom line. It's what I do that matters, not how I feel. Sure, it's great to be very inspired, 
to feel like a tzaddik feels. The bottom line is I shouldn't compromise. And in the world of the Bainini, compromise means doing something wrong, not feeling. And that's the way you define the Bainini. To use the form that I've used a dozen times at least over the last few years, we call the Bainini the poor man. Remember? The rich man keeps his thermostat steady, constant, like for example in this shul at this particular juncture, right? And the poor man doesn't have enough fuel, so he puts all the fuel into the fire in the morning, and he makes his house unbearably hot, and he hopes that at night it'll be manageable. So the Benini's life, as opposed to the Tzaddik's life, since the Tzaddik is inspired, because he doesn't have an alternative, another Yetzir, another inspiration, another inclination, he turns himself on during davening, and stays on all day long. The Benini's life revolves around the davening times, because all of the energy, all of the inspiration, is invested in the davening, and when he's davening, he is tzaddik-like. Now, Tereba actually proposed in chapter 12 that perhaps the Yitzhahara can actually go into a state of torpor, he's temporarily sleeping, but as soon as he's done the davening, he's refreshed and rejuvenated and ready for a fight. And the rest of the day, the Benini survives with the residuals, with the leftover, with the trace of the inspiration that he had during the davening. And again, during the davening, the Benini is called a king, and for the remainder of the day, the Benini is called a dictator, a ruler. Now that we've explained what a Benini is, and we've categorized the Benini as in the middle, and I started to say, there's nothing average about a Benini. A Benini is an incredibly perfect person. Benini is a very, very high level. There was a very, very great chassid, who was in fact a tzaddik of Tanya, the people of Parash, and the tzaddik called him a tzaddik, so he used to say that before he had studied Hasidus, he used to think he was a tzaddik. And now that he studied the Tanya, he says, Halvai Benini, I wish I was average. I wish he was actually a tzaddik. But he used to say, Halvai, I wish I was a madrega of Benini. Because a Benini means a person who never gives in. He, he's not always inspired, but he's not compromised. Compromise, he doesn't give in to his weakness even once. So there's nothing average about a Benini, except for one thing that any person could be a Benini. You don't have to be special to be a Benini. You have to just, you gotta do what you gotta do. If a person wishes to be a Benini, they can. To be a tzaddik, to be an inspired person, is a gift from God. If God gives it to you, you have it, and God doesn't give it to you, it's unavailable to you. But to be a master over the one thing in this world which we can actually control, which is ourselves, any person could do that. So when the Yaltarebbe defines the word Bainini, which is a Talmudic term and a Zoharic term, using the Kabbalistic, the Zoyar's definition of Sadi Bainini Rasha, Bainini does not mean average person. Bainini means average possibility. And the possibility, the average person is to be in control of themselves to the degree that every decision that they make could in theory be the right decision and not the wrong decision. And the key to the Bainini is his davening. The davening, the is the inspired time in the Benyani and it carries him throughout the day. Now that we've defined Benyani, Dr. Rebbe spends two chapters where he goes back to the very, very first page of the book. So I made copies of the very first page of the book, but that doesn't look like a copy machine, it looks like a printer, apparently. And it made me very nervous. So you're missing the first four lines, which are kind of important. But whatever you got, you can hold. Um... On the very first page of the Tanya, the Rebbe asked a bunch of questions. And now in chapters 13 and 14, he revisits those questions. And I'll explain to you the context. 
The context is that you have to remember that the word tzaddik benyani rasha is all over title. Right? Tzaddik benyani rasha, even the chumish. I mean, benyani, I don't know if you have it in Ach, but tzaddik and rasha, you certainly have it in title. And in Talmud, in the Gemara, tzaddik benyani rasha appears all the time in the Mesechta Yuma, the tract that it talks about Yom Kippur. There's so much, pages and pages and pages on judgment, and they talk about tzaddik benyani rasha. In Rambam, the tzaddik benyani rasha. And in Zohar, the tzaddik benyani rasha. What the Alter Rebbe wished to do on the first page of the Tanya is introduce us to the mystical definitions of the Benin Rosh. And in order to introduce us to the mystical definitions of Tanya Benin Rasha, he asked us a whole bunch of questions. In other words, what is the Talmudic definition? What's the classic definition of Tanya Benin Rosh? What's the halachic definition? Tzaddik means 51% virtue. 51% good deeds is righteous. That's all. 49% sins and you're a tzaddik. A rasha is 51% sin. And the bayani is approximately average. Right? The zayhar has completely different definitions. Where tzaddik, bayani, rasha are not defined by what they do but who they are. The different personalities. A tzaddik cannot sin. And a rasha sins even once. And the bayani can but never sins. It's a completely different set of definitions. It's rooted in a zoyhar, Raimem the Pashas Mishpatim, and it's found a, a basis, it's found an anchor, it's found a source in the Talmud and the Gemara and Brachas, where the Gemara and Brachas says that a tzaddik is judged only by his Yetzirah, remember that? A Rosh is judged only by his Yetzirah, the Baini is judged by both, and then the Gemara says that the great sage Rabbah, Rabbah Van Achmeini says, I am a Bainini. Rabbi Banachmeni calling himself a Baini to be like the Lubavitcher Rebbe saying, I'm a Baini. It's as reasonable. And it is that Gemara which corroborates the Zohar. In other words, we have one source in the Talmud for the Zohar definition of Tzadik Baini Rasha. So essentially, there's two sets of definitions. There's the classic definitions and there's the mystical definitions. Well, Rebbe wrote to Tanya, he could very easily have started by quoting the Zayar. He could have opened up the book, it says in Zayar, and given you the mystical definition of Tzadik Ben Yerush. He doesn't want to do that. He starts off with the classic definition. And he challenges them. Dr. Rebbe insists on quoting the Talmud. And he quotes a half a dozen sources from the Shas. And he insists on demonstrating, on showing that what's written in the Zayhar actually has a source in the Talmud as well. That's his whole point. So now that we've given the Zayhar's definition of Bainani, which means uninspired but uncompromised, essentially it means a person who never does wrong things, and always does right things, even though sometimes he's barely surviving, but grit and stubbornness because he's uninspired. Now that we've defined Bainani, the Zoharic definition, the mystical definition of Baini, let's go back to page one. And he answers all of our questions. All the questions that were asked on the first page of the Tanya uh, now get resolved. Okay? And um, this is what we're going to do today. We're going to go through this list of questions that were asked on the very first page of the Tanya, and we're going to resolve them one by one. And at the second half of the class with Hashem's help, we're going to go into a little bit more of a, of a meaningful discussion. But the first half is really revisiting a series of Talmudic phrases and resolving them. The first one is, the Talmud says, a tzaddik is judged by his yetzer tov. 
And by the way, it has to mean a perfect tzaddik, but I'll talk about it a different time. A rasha is judged by his yetzirah. And again, it has to be a perfect rasha. We're talking about it a different time. A bainani is judged by both. Shaiftan. Judged. Doesn't say ruled, it says judged. So I'll tell you, what is the meaning of the words a bainani is judged by both? In our definition, a bainani never sins. If a bainani never sins, doesn't that sound like someone who's judged only by the Yetzirah? Why does the Talmud, why does the Gemara say, Bainanim Zevaz Shaifta, the Bainanim is judged by both? So he asks exactly the question you just asked. It doesn't say ruled. It says judged. What's the difference between ruled and judged? Ruled means, you sometimes listen to this one, you sometimes listen to this one. According to the mystical definition of Bainanim, it's a Russia. Bainanim Zevaz Shaifta means both of them have a voice. When you go into a court of law and you have a tribunal, you have three judges, and a judge says something, that doesn't mean you're going to listen to him. It's an opinion. But there are other opinions. Bainani zevazeh doesn't mean that the Bainani takes turn, sometimes listening to one judge, another listening to another judge. In each question, he entertains the position of this judge, the Yitzhak and the position of the other judge, the Yitzhak But it's only an opinion. The fact is that the verdict is always at the Yetzirah. He hears both judges. He hears the opinion of the Yetzirah. hears the opinion of the Yetzirah. And then he does what he wants. So a Bainani, according to the Zayha's definition, who never sins, is in fact Zeva Shaifton. He hears two judges. Not Moishlon. He's not ruled by two voices. He's judged by two voices. He actually measures what the Yetzirah has to say, what the Yetzirah has to say, and he always listens to the Yetzirah. But here again, you have these two conditions. You have the Benyani when he's davening, when he's inspired, and you have the Benyani when he's uninspired. And there's a very big difference. When the Benyani is inspired, he doesn't actually hear both judges. Because when you're inspired, right, so you're turned into the Yebishter, turned into God, God's will, so you do what the Yetzirah wants. And when the Benyani is uninspired, in other words, for the remainder of the day, the reason... The Yitzhah wins, the Yitzhah loses because Hashem helps. The Pasuk says, Hashem stands on the right side of the one who is poor. The Benyani is poor. To save him from the fact that he has more than one judge. And the Gemara says, If Hashem would not help us, we would never defeat the Yitzhah. Since we understand that the Benyani is in flux, there's the inspired times and the uninspired times. The uninspired times of the Benyani's life, there are two judges. And the Al-Tarebbe uses the Lashon, the verdict is like the third judge. And the third judge is, is, a, is a third opinion. He's an he's a, he's a, uh, arbitrator. He hears both voices and he comes up with a third opinion. And because Hashem helps, the Benyani wins. The Talmud tells us that... Um, if you want to be pure, Hashem helps you. You halify yourself a little bit below. God Almighty halifies you a lot above. And so forth and so on. The underlying point is that we as people try our best to make the right decisions and desire to do the right thing. Hashem will give us just enough assistance that we can always do the right thing. And that's the 
That's the reality of the Benyani's life. The uninspired times of the life of a Benyani, which is frankly most of the day, right? Davening is the inspiration time. Or Shabbos is the inspiration time. The uninspired times of a Benyani's life, there are these two voices, and he hears them both. He only listens to the Yetzirah because he wishes to, and he succeeds to the degree that he does only because the Kaddish Baruch Hu Hashem helps him. And if not for the fact that Hashem helps him, he, he would never succeed. He would fail. So this is the first commentary that Rebbe makes. Going back to the very first page of the Tanya, um, it's, it's actually, if you have those sheets, it's number one, it's actually the middle of the page. Tzadikim Yitzatev. Shaiftan, you see it? Rishayim Yitzatev. Shaiftan. The Benyani is judged by both. Translates the Alter Rebbe. It doesn't mean you take turns listening to one or the other. You hear both verdicts, both opinions. And you're the resolving judge. You've got the final say. You, your consciousness, your ego, your will, your freedom. And with the help of Hashem, you always choose the right thing. That's the Benyani. And that's the message. If we don't want to lose, we won't. And I think that's not so philosophical. I think that's quite realistic. When we want to defeat the Yetzir Hara, we do. And when we don't defeat the Yetzir Hara, it's not because it was too hard, it's because we really were not interested. <laughs> but when we do our best, Hashem helps us overcome the Yetzir Hara, in whatever particular area it is. This is the first uh, Gemara, first phrase, the Talmud, that the al addresses here in chapter 13. The second one is the very first words of the Tanya. The very, very top of the page, the very, very first words of the Tanya. What are the first words of the Tanya? The first words of the Tanya are, quote, Everybody you know tells you, you, you're righteous, you're a tzaddik, you're a holy man. You, you can't sit, you're perfect. You should always view yourself as a rosh. It's a Talmudic statement. The very, very first words of the Tanya, when a person, before a person is born, when the neshama is, is conceived and it goes through the process by which it's going to come into the physical human body, mm-hmm. so the neshama is made to swear that you'll be righteous, not sinful, and then he's told. Everybody tells you you're a tzaddik, don't believe him, you should think you're a rosh. So of course the question is, what's wrong with thinking you're a tzaddik? And isn't it depressing to think you're a rosh? Everybody in the world tells you you're a tzaddik. No, you have to say, no, I'm no tzaddik, I'm a rosh. So Al-Trebbe makes an observation. It doesn't say, hey, be in your eyes rosh. It says, kerosh, as a rosh. What's the difference between rosh and kerosh? Rosh means one who sins. Kerosh means someone who could sin. Everybody you know, all your friends and relatives and acquaintances think you are righteous. They tell you, you're tzaddik, you, you're beyond reproach, you cannot fail, you cannot fall, you cannot stumble and falter, you're so righteous, you're so tuned in, you're so inspired, you're so on fire, you'll never fall. Never trust yourself. This is the essence of the definition of a Benini. That he never lets his guard down. The success of the Benini that he doesn't let his guard down. Now Benini is not like a Balchuvah, who has to take an extreme. But a Benyani at the same time must never say, I've arrived. Because it's at that moment that the Benyani says, I've arrived, that he falls. Mm-hmm. One of the most beautiful Hasidic Shavetta, and I believe I've shared it with you in this series of these discussions, goes like this. One of the greatest high priests, 
in the history of the Jewish nation was a man named Yochanan Kohen Gadol, Yochanan the high priest. He lived during the second temple and he went into the Holy of Holies 80 times. During the second temple, the Gemara says there were 280 high priests. The average life expectancy of a high priest, 12 months. And he survived 80 years. 80, 80. And the Gemara gives, the Talmud gives you a calculation exactly, you know, the, the numbers virtually to the year that Shimon HaTzadik was for 40 years and Abelazim HaChesma was for 16. They know exactly who the high priests were that survived more than one season. But Yerchanik and Gadol had longevity beyond anybody else. And then he became a Sadducee. A Sadducee. A, 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 a heretic. He, he completely abandoned the truth of Jewish tradition. So the question is asked, the average life expectancy of a high priest was a year. And they used to pay for it. They would purchase it. Mm-hmm. With absorbent, uh, um, um, huge amounts of money. Knowing that they were going to die. But they wanted that honor. To go into the, the, schus, the merit, to go into the Holy of Holies one time, they were prepared to pay for it and lose their lives. Yerichadim God was so righteous, he went into the Holy of Holies 80 times. How could a person who was so righteous, must have been a tzaddik, fall like this to abandon Judaism completely? So there's an incredible Hasidic Shabbat. The Talmud's expression is, Yochanan ken God the high priest served God for 80 years. Vinasat Tzduki became a Sadduci. But the word Vinasat Tzduki could also mean he became a tzaddik. They mean to say he became self-righteous. He became pious in his own eyes. 80 years he was a high priest. He said, hey, I'm holy. And that was the beginning and the end. When you say, I'm a tzaddik, you let your guard down. I don't have to be afraid. I'm safe. I'm protected. I don't have to protect myself. I'm beyond failure. When you reach in your own mind the point where you are a tzaddik, you let your guard down and that's when the Benjamin falls. So the Gemara says, the whole world tells you you're a tzaddik. You say, no, no, I'm a kedasha. It doesn't make me evil. It doesn't make me a sinner. It doesn't make me a bad person. But it makes me vulnerable. The key to the success of the Benjamin is not to trust himself. The key to the test of the Benjamin is always to keep the necessary fences up, to always keep his guard up, to keep the focus up that you should do the right thing, not do the wrong thing. Because when you start to trust yourself, which is the madrig of tzaddik, this is when you fail and when you fall. So of course, you can ask me a question. If a person is never supposed to say he's a tzaddik, does anybody ever find out that they're a tzaddik? <laughs> or are all tzaddiks running around saying, no, I'm no tzaddik, I'm a rush. And obviously the answer is, at a certain point, tzaddikim know they're a tzaddik. But they don't read about it in the newspapers. They don't hear it from their friends and neighbors. They hear it from their teachers. The expression of the Gemara is kol ha'olam kol, the whole world. And oilam and chasidis means hell, hiddenness and concealment. The masses who are part of the problem will tell you, you're righteous, don't believe them. But a rebbe, a tzaddik, who says to one of his students, one of his disciples, you have reached the level of tzaddik, then he in fact has to change his way of serving the Ebshter. And there's a famous story, it's not even a story, it's just an, uh, you know, an episode, an occurrence, where a great chassid, his name was Reb David Tzvi, Chayn, the Radatz, he was a Babacha chassid who passed away in 1926 in Israel, he lived most of his life in Russia. He came to his Rebbe, the Rebbe Marash, and the Rebbe Marash told him it's 
time to change your service. Time to think about serving God like a tzaddik. And tzaddikim and beninim serve God in completely different ways. Beninim are constantly with that frustration, that grinding out, fighting the Yitzhah, staying on top. Tzaddikim are rich. Tzaddikim are inspired. It's a whole different life. There are a whole different expectations. But tzaddikim are very, very inspired people. And when people on the street, when your friends and neighbors and relatives tell you tzaddik, say, no, no, I don't trust myself. Because trusting yourself is the beginning of a failure. But when a Rebbe tzaddik says to you, you've actually, to some degree, <coughs> killed the Yetzirah, and you've reached the level where you could afford to be a rich Jew, an inspired Jew, that's another story. So this is the second thought that uh, the Alter Rebbe addresses. So calling yourself Kerasha won't depress you. Right? The first question that Tanya was, if you say you're a Rasha, you're going to get sad. He says, you're not saying you're a Rasha. You're saying you're vulnerable. There's a very big difference between saying a Rasha and vulnerable. Vulnerable means I could be a Rasha, but I don't want to become one. And to prevent myself from becoming a Rasha, i got to keep my guard up. Okay, and again, I want to repeat, a Balchuva has to take an extreme. One who was actually sinned has to take an extreme. A Baini does not have to take an extreme. He stay in the middle of the road. But he has to be vigilant. He has to be on guard. He's never allowed to say, relax and say... He can't rest on his religious laurels, on his piety points. He always has to be aware that the Yitzhahara is waiting to find weakness. And of course, the beginning of the Yitzhahara's weaknesses in a person is um, overconfidence. Self-trust, Right? Or another approach, which is probably even more effective, is what's the Yitzhahara's greatest weapon? Anybody know? You should know by now. De- depression. Probably is the second greatest weapon. <laughs> depression. He puts you in a bad mood, and he blames it on religion, and once you're in a bad mood, he's got you exactly where he wants you because you're weak. You have to be phobic about the Yitzhahara. You have to be phobic about the Yitzhahara. You have to be aware that the Yitzhahara is going to try and trip you up, either because he's going to come to you and say, you're already a tzaddik, or he's going to come to you and say, fair you low life. <laughs> he's very, very holy, and he'll hold his entire interest is to make you weak and to slip you up, to trip you up. And that's what the Gemara is saying. Everybody tells you you're righteous. You remember, be vigilant, don't trust. <clears throat> it's the second point. And of course, the third point is Rabbi. The great sage Rabbi, Rabbi Manachmeni, the Gemara says that the, 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 the angel of death couldn't kill him. His time came to die and the angel of death was chasing him and he was running away. He wasn't only running away from the angel of death, he was running away from the government. It's a whole long story. But he was constantly studying. He never stopped studying for a moment and the Yitzhara couldn't kill him. And then the, the end of the story was that he, he, he was distracted and the Yitzhara was able to take, the angel of death was able to take his life. But the Gemara says that the last act he did on this world was say the word Tahor, pure. It's connected to this week's Pasha, Bashkach Pratis. He talked about Ashkach Pratis. The Gemara says that there was a there was an argument in the heavenly court between HaKadosh Baruch Hu, Hashem, whatever that means, and the rabbis. <laughs> It's a question about saras, leprosy, which is a question in this week's Pash. Suffolk say love and Kadmala Baharis. Leprosy is a white discoloration of the skin. After you have a white discoloration of the skin, the tumor is confirmed either because it's growing, 
or because in the middle of it you see normal skin, or because white hairs, yellow hairs grow out of it. What happens if you had white hairs before the discoloration of the skin? The person has white hair, and then they get discoloration of skin, that white hair doesn't make them tummy. It's only if they have black hair, and then the discoloration makes it white. Now what happens if you're not sure which came first? Did the hair turn white first, or did the skin turn white first? If you know for sure that the hair turned white first, it's tight. If you know for sure that the skin turned white first, he's tummy, if you're not sure. So it's an argument between And they said, someone has to paskin, and in the heavens there's no halacha, only on earth. So they needed to find a physical rabbi to paskin the halacha. And who did they choose? This rabbi bar Nachmeni. And the last thing he said was Tahir, and then he died. Pure. And the Gemara says, how fortunate Rabbi was, he was so pure, and his neshama left this world having said the word Tahara. And the rabbi says about himself, I'm Bainani. I'm average. Sabaya says to Rabbi, my holy master, my great teacher, if you're a Bainani, what are we? We're the Shoyim. Rabbi Banachmeni, the greatest rabbi of his generation. And then, by the way, the translation of the word Rabbi means great rabbi. That's what it means. It was a tremendous God, one of the greatest rabbis of the era of the Talmud, one of the greatest rabbis of all. He called himself average. And of course, in the Tanya, Benini means somebody who never sins, but could. Correct? How could Rabbi say he was a Benini? He must have for sure been a Tzaddik. Now, the assumption of the Tanya is that Rabbi made a mistake. Rabbi, in fact, was a Tzaddik. He wasn't even a Tzaddik. He was a perfect Tzaddik. But mistakes have to be reasonable too. Don't you think, yeah? If a person makes a mistake, the mistake has to be reasonable as well. How could the rabbi have said he's a Bainani if a Bainani is somebody with a Yetzir harder, with an evil inclination? Yes? And evil inclination means what? You're tempted by who knows what. The rabbi was tempted? Could you imagine being a rabbi that has to arbitrate between God and the heavenly court? This was Rabbi Banachmeni. <laughs> How could he call himself Bainani? How could he say he has a Yetzir harder? So the Al-Tarabba gives a creative explanation. He says, number one. Let's go through this one more time. Okay? A Bainani is an uninspired person, but he's an uncompromised person. So the Tzaddik is inspired, the Rosh is compromised. Rabbi Banachmeni studied Torah day and night. So what did he think? He thought he was inspired because of the Torah. Just like when a Bainani davens, so when a Benini davens, his Yetzirah goes to sleep. Right? That's like the poor man when he heats up his house in the morning, it's very hot. But he can't sustain it all day long. Right? It wanes. It goes away when you finish davening. And then you have to survive. But Rebbe never, Rebbe never stopped davening. He studied Torah all day long. And the Rebbe brings that you find in the Talmud a concept that's called Benini Adam Aspalo Kalev. person prays all day long. So Rabbi Banachmeni made a mistake. Does not every do that? No. No, of they course not. All day long? They Whatever they do, but they don't say they're Bainani. <laughs> no, they the difference of Dikim have different ways of serving Hashem. Rabbi Zavoyde was Torah. Right? There's different ways of serving Hashem. There's not just one path to God, there's many paths. The constant of a tzaddik is whatever path is his, it's an inspired path. So Rabbi, in fact, was a tzaddik. In other words, he was an inspired person. He wasn't an ordinary tzaddik, he was a perfect tzaddik. 
In other words, he was completely cleared. Abba had no evil in him whatsoever. Godliness was as meaningful to him as money is to us. Think about that honestly. <laughs> he loved God like we love guilt. And he loved God like we would love lots and lots and lots of guilt. Can you imagine? He was, he was, and the reason was, because he had an ishama that loves God, and he didn't have the obstacle, he didn't have the other force that loves guilt. So naturally he loved the Abish. And he was a perfect tzaddik. But the rabbi attributed his inspiration to what he was doing, not to who he was. This was his mistake. Rabbi said, maybe I'm a t- I feel like a tzaddik because I don't stop studying. Now what happens if I stop? When a ben, he stops praying, he stops being a king and he becomes a dictator. He stops being inspired and he has to survive. He says, I don't want to stop praying. And in his case, I don't want to stop studying. So I'm never going to find out, do I have a Sahara, Or am I in fact a tzaddik? So Rabbi was wrong in attributing to himself the status of Benini. In fact, Rabbi was a tzaddik, he was an inspired person. But at least his mistake is reasonable. It's a reasonable mistake. It wasn't a mistake that was based on, on illogic. It wasn't a mistake based on childishness. It was a base, mistake based on a real judgment. His judgment was, since I've never stopped <laughs> studying, I don't know if I have a Yetzirah. So he said, maybe I do. And I don't want to trust myself, so I'm going to say I do. And Abayi says, Rebbe, you have a Yetzirah. You're a Rabbi. In fact, Rabbi was a Tzaddik and a perfect Tzaddik. His mistake was based on the fact that he never stopped studying Torah, so he assumed that maybe he's, it's like it's been in your davens all day long. Now I want to make an observation, and that is that there's a very, very big davening difference between praying and studying Torah. There's a very big difference between pray, davening and learning Torah. What's the difference? One is speaking to God, and the other one is speaking to you. Okay, that's mysticism. But as a practical matter, one you speak with your heart, another you speak with your mind. Davening is impassioned. Torah is intellectual, it's cool. Correct? So the idea that when one prays, they're inspired, makes sense. The idea that one should study Torah and be inspired, that in itself is extraordinary. When you study Torah, your ego comes along for a ride and he sits right next to you. Sometimes he pokes his nose into your Gemara and doesn't let you see the page, only lets you see yourself. When you're studying Torah, you're not inspired, you're engaged. Rabbis Torah was like other people's tefillah. When he studied Torah, the Torah moved him like a, a Jew who's moved, who's talking to God with his heart. And still he assumed, perhaps I must still be a Rosha with a Yetzirah. I'm sorry, I must be a Baini with a Yetzirah. I'm just simply not giving him an opportunity to manifest because I never stop. So Rabbi was in fact a tzaddik, but at least his mistake was within reason. This is the third the idea that the Alter Rebbe addresses, going back, like I said to you before, to the first page of the Tanya. Go ahead. How could you make a mistake if Rabba was before the the Bala Tanya? In other words, the Tanya wasn't bef- at the time of Abba Barakmani. It was before that. So how could you make a mistake? You don't understand. The whole point of the Alter Rebbe in writing the Tanya is to say that what I said was already said. <clears throat> now, fact of the matter is, Tanya is a very original book. But the whole point of the first page of the Tanya is to show that everything he's going to say is already written in the Gemara. Yeah, but it doesn't really count because Rabbi Barakmani came before the Balatanya. Yeah, but the, the, the Tanya... It doesn't really count that he made a mistake. If he came after him, then you can say he made a mistake because he's beyond I, the Tanya. The I, I Tanya don't, wasn't revealed then. No, no, but the, the statement that the Tanya quotes 
was revealed. The statement that the Tanya quotes is the same passage of the Gemara. Tzadikim, Yitzhotev Sheftan. A tzaddik is judged only by the Yitzhotev. Rabbi Manachmani knew that. Should also need a statement in the Zohar. That we can debate. That we can argue about. But he, the point is, usually in Talmud, tzaddik means more than 50% good deeds. But that particular passage where Rabbi is speaking actually is a Talmudic source for the Zayat, for the Tanya's definition of Tzadik. That's why the discussion unfolds. Go ahead. You're saying when, you're, when a person is studying Torah, it's an intellectual thing, right? I don't feel that way. You're a very holy person. Emotional. I know I think a lot of people feel that way. It's, it is emotional. It's inspirational. It's, it's inspiring. It is inspiring. Depends what you're studying. Yeah. It certainly depends what you're studying and it also depends how well you understand it. If you don't mind my candor. Well, of course, if you don't understand, you can't get inspired. It's the but other way. It's understand. actually the other way around. What do you mean? The more you understand it, the less you're inspired. Because when you learning, by definition, is an exercise of nuance and detail. It's all about little, little details. Right. When you read something and you get a basic picture, it's very inspiring. That was still his empire. When you read something and you understand it thoroughly, you're so busy dissecting and organizing the little aspects that it's very, very intellectual. Oh, you're talking like mathematical. No, it's true in Talmud. It's true in the Gemara. It's true in Hasidus. I've had this experience a thousand times. You study a page of a Maimur and it moves you incredibly. And you are so excited, so you run to your friend and say, no, I read this page, i got to show it with you. You take out the, page, the book, you open up to the page, can't find it. And you look it over 15 times. You know why? You're looking right at it. But the second time you read it, you understand it clearly. And when you understand it clearly, it's an idea. When you understood it the first time, you got a visual. You got a basic picture. Right? It's a general experience. In generalizations, or simplifications, it's, it's much more emotional. The more intellectually involved you are, the more dispassionate you're going to be. It's a fact. But studying Kabbalah and Chesidus is a little different because it's so close to the heart. I mean, I, it's, it's really close to the soul. But when a person studies ideas, especially if they're involved in intellectual ideas, it's a whole process. It has to be. When you're emotional, you can think clearly. It takes away the objectivity. But your point is well taken. Let me ask you one more question. You said earlier that the Tzadikas and Tzadikas she said Torah like that. Okay. <laughs> then there's a fourth Talmudic statement. Also on the first page of the Tanya. And it's the statement made by Job. And if you have your piece of paper, it's item five. That's right. That, this is the Gemara of Abbasim. You have page five. Allah Hovind calls every hater to Ramah Mashiach Ramah Eev. The great prophet, one of the most righteous Gentiles in the history of humankind says, Master of the world, you have created righteous and you have created sinners, evil people. So the Rebbe says, how could Job, how could Eve say that God has created righteous people and evil people? Doesn't man have free will? And if man has free will, God doesn't create neither righteous nor sinful. He creates human beings. And they exercise, they create their own righteousness or their own sinfulness, their own evil. How could Eve say you've created righteous and evil people? That's not true. 
The Gemara says, Tzadik v'rashalei ka'amen. Hashem does not predetermine if you're going to be righteous or sinful. This is the question. So the Rebbe says again, no. Job isn't saying that God has created good people and bad people. He's created some people who could become tzaddikim, inspired. And he's created other people who are going to always be rasha. Rasha doesn't mean a sinner. Rasha means vulnerable, that's all. Susceptible to sin. Brasa tzaddikim. Brasa tzaddikim, brasa rashaim. Doesn't mean he's created righteous people and sinful people. He's created inspired people and uninspired people. But an uninspired person is not necessarily a sinner. An uninspired person is a vulnerable person. And if you stay on guard, you won't fall. You won't sin. So this is again a Talmudic phrase that uh, the Al-Trebbe quoted at the very beginning of the book. And in these chapters, the Al-Trebbe proceeds to um, resolve them. So why does it say inspired and uninspired? Why does it say Rishayim and Tzadikim? That's what it means. That's what it means. It means righteous. You see, but the word righteous has two definitions. Righteous can mean how you act. And righteous can mean who you are. There's a very big difference between saying that person acts righteously and that person is righteous. What's the difference? When they're asleep, are they righteous? Always. Actions speak louder than words. Actions are the only thing that matters. A righteous person is, is a whole, he's an elevated person. He's a different kind of human being. His righteousness is not limited to what he does. His righteousness is who he is. Just think about loving God like you love money. Like I love money. I don't know. You're very righteous. Mm. <laughs> you don't mind that illusion. Okay. No. Imagine loving the Abish like, like many, many, many dollars. Only the Benjamins. Huh? Only the Benjamins. What do you mean? Only the Benjamins. The hundred dollar bills. Oh, <laughs> we can't think bigger than that. <laughs> it's an incredible existence. But what we're doing in context is we're not defining righteousness by actions. We're defining righteousness by mahus, by person. By, by, by inspiration, by who you are. And Eve is saying some people created inspired, other people were created uninspired. So Russia doesn't mean a sinner. Russia means uninspired. But most people, they don't learn what you're just saying. They know that Russia is a Russian. They won't believe in their wilder dream that when you say Russia, it's not a Russian. I agree completely, but that's the whole... Isn't that the better definition to, to pronounce that word than, than a Russia? Especially on a Russia, you know that's a Russia, it's a Russian. This is how the Talmud is written. It's full of cryptai full of mystery, full of a need for analysis, questions and answers. This was Eve's form, but this is what he meant. A tzaddik is always inspired? No. A tzaddik is inspired in essence. And because he's inspired in essence, of course he's always inspired. You have to think about tzaddikim backwards. He doesn't learn? Isn't he learning? Of course. All the time. He's doing good things. But the inspiration does not come from his learning. His learning comes from his inspiration. But who knows that besides God? Another tzaddik, his teacher, his master. But then the person himself would know that. Until he's told. That's what I said to you Until he's told. Right. A tzaddik is a human being who's a tzaddik when he sleeps. It's hard to fathom such a thing, but holy people, their holiness is not just in their religion and in their kindness, it's in their food and in their sleep. You know, one of the great stories, one of the great Hasidic stories, 
Everybody tells the story. All the Hasidic communities tell the story. One of the greatest Hasidic masters of all was Rabbi Aaron Agod Lumikalin. Rabbi Aaron Kalinin. He passed away at the age of 30. Cool. Rabbi Aaron Agod Lumikalin. Have you heard of Stalin? The first Stalin Rebbe, the first Kalina Rebbe. He passed away before his teacher. His teacher was the Mizitra Magid. So it was a Friday afternoon, and he was a very holy man. Rabbi Kalina was sitting in Shtibul in Shul, and he was saying Shira Shidim, the Song of Songs. Shira Shidim. And the Mizitra Magid laid down for a nap. And he sent his shamans into the Shul to tell Rabbi Kalina to stop saying Shira Shidim. He says, You're a Shira Shidim and making so much noise in the heavens, I can't fall asleep. <laughs> So, don't sleep. <laughs> the Mizitcher Magid sleep is more important than Madana Godla Shira Shira. What does that mean? How is sleep holy? I thought they don't sleep at all. Okay, you thought. They only sleep, they're normal people. They eat and they sleep and they do everything. But it's tzaddik. It's a different existence. It's an inspired existence. It's not... What they do creates the inspiration. It's the inspiration that creates the standards. It's a whole different kind of human being. Can I ask another question? Someone said once that when Mashiach comes, the only thing we're going to learn, the first thing we're going to learn is Hasidus. I, I, I may not answer your question, by the way. <laughs> <laughs> You're running the risk of not having your question answered. It's a long story. It's a long story. What Zalman meant was the only thing that we're going to be consumed by. You're going to have to learn Torah, Gemara, and Halacha. But it'll be easy. Yeah, but it's basically it's indicating that Hasidus is so, so important to learn. What I'm saying is, how come he's not a Mekubah? He's always learning Tanya uh, and Hasidus and supposed to be the highest of the highest. And yet, you have Mekubahs in Israel and certain, you know, certain places around the world that really know how to tell a person, how to, you know, know secret of things that God gave them, granted them a gift, you know? And, you know what I'm saying? No, I don't so, know what you're saying. <laughs> so, <laughs> so, I mean, obviously, they're not learning Chassidus. They're learning Gemara, Shah, Chris, No, no, things. they're learning Kabbalah. They're not learning Shah, learning Kabbalah. Okay, it's a discussion for a different time. Now, there are three more things we're going to talk about. And... Uh, <laughs> It's the place where the soul of the Torah and the soul of the Jew converge. Just think about it. If I understood what you said. <laughs> I spoke in English, didn't speak in riddles. The Altarebbe has three other comments that he makes also in light of the uh, statements in the Talmud, the paragraphs in the Gemara that are quoted in the beginning of the Tanya. But these three comments are more involved. Because what we just did for the last 40 minutes or so was quote different phrases in the Talmud and enlighten them based on the Hasidic interpretations that we've given to Bainani. But there were three more points that ever makes. And these three points, although at least two of them are technical, but they have much more neshama. In other words, they, they, they're not just another an interpretation of another passage they speak to us. And the first one is the beginning of chapter 14. With al Rebbe says, and I quote, The level of the Bainini is the level of every person. Every person should aspire to be a Bainini. And he translates, Every person, Yachali is Bainini, can be a Bainini, anytime he wishes. 
Because Benyanim do not need to be inspired. What these words are saying is one of the most, some of the most important words of the Tanya. And I'm going to use my own form and God should forgive me if I'm making a mistake. We're sitting here. Yeah, there's a minion of us. Yeah, there's more than a minion. Eleven people's on Gazunza. And uh, I suppose we all think that everybody else in the room is a tzaddik. <laughs> we all think that all the other ten people in the room are righteous. It's true. Of course it's true. It's but let's all admit, I'll admit that I'm no tzaddik. And some of you, will, some of you, just a few of you will admit, maybe just to make me not look so bad, that you're not tzaddik either. And the rest of us will, uh, the tzaddikim will tzaddik in silence. We're not perfect. And... The Benini of the Tanya is incredibly frustrating. You know, I mean, you're adults. And, you know, one of the good things of being an adult is you can departmentalize. You can listen to something intellectually without getting all passionate. But I teach Tanya to teenagers. And teenagers don't have that capacity at all. It goes straight from the mind to the heart. It doesn't even, they don't even process it properly. So when you teach teenagers Tanya for the first time, you mean we're all a bunch of rushes. Oh, that's so depressing, and I give up. I don't want to learn Tanya. I mean, I went through this as many times as I've taught the Tanya to teenagers, which is many times. Because, it, you know, it's almost like a knee-jerk response. This is how they react. But here the Alter Rebbe says, listen. Yeah, you're right. Benini is a very high level. The Benini we discussed last, last time, chapter 12, the Avid has never sinned. It's an incredibly high level. But forget about life. Think about the next five minutes. Could you control yourself for five minutes? Could you control yourself for 60 seconds? Anybody can. No. No? Depends you can't control yourself for 60 seconds? On the normal conditions. On the normal conditions. Let's not play, you know, we don't, life is not only misery and hell. Sometimes there's good times too. No, it's not that. It's as soon as you tell yourself, I'm going to control myself for the next 60 seconds, God's going to throw you a test. You think so? Guaranteed. Okay. But if you keep saying it every 60 seconds, he won't keep throwing you tests. You'll get tired of it. <laughs> <laughs> if you'll defeat the test, the first time, the second time, the third time, Al-Tarebbe says, break up your life into increments. And say, I could do this. For 80 years, I can't imagine. But I, I could control myself for five minutes. Of course I could. Al-Tarebbe says, that's the reality of Bainani. We all lament, oh me, I'm a rush, I'm terrible, I'm no good, I'm a sinner, I'm evil. I'm going to go to hell. God's inventing a brand new hell for me. And either it is or it isn't true. But, you know, some of us are, are incredibly kind to ourselves. And many of us, you know, we, we had Jewish mothers and we're constantly beating ourselves up. We're no good and we're rotten and we're miserable. How could I be abating? Al-Tarebbe says, stop thinking about your whole life. Think about this. Abating is not measured by how he feels and what his mood is. A bayani is measured only by what he does. You could control yourself for five minutes. Of course you could. And that's what makes bayani realistic. Don't get depressed. And, you know, in the name of reason, don't get emotional. Think. Forget about your whole life. Think about now. Al-Tabi says, a bayani doesn't have to have passions. A bayani doesn't have to be inspired. A bayani doesn't have to be aroused. A bayani doesn't have to hate evil. He doesn't have to love God. He just has to control himself. You could control yourself. You could control yourself. Take it one minute at a time. So Al-Tarebbe says, there is the ideal Bainani. 
There is the full-fledged Bainini, which was discussed in chapter 12. Excuse me, guys. We call that no, Madregas no. Bainini, the level of Bainini. The level of Bainini is someone who's never sinned and never gonna sin. This was last week's class, we forgot about it already. We're not talking about the level of Bainini, we're talking about the reality of Bainini. Midas Bainini. Forget the past, forget the future. Right now, you could be a Bainini. You could. Control yourself. And tell yourself, I have the capacity to do it. And because I have the capacity to do it, I will do it. What's the problem? The problem is that the Yitzhahara, of course, comes in all shapes and sizes and forms and colors and textures. The Yitzhahara is incredibly creative. And one of the multitudinous tricks of the Yitzhahara is a trick that's called Oydenu B'Yahadusa, which is an incredibly useful trick when you're talking about Jews. Because Jews have conscience. Jews have Jewish guilt. So the Yitzhahara comes along and tells you, you can do this and still be a good Jew. I'm a Jew at heart. Rabbi Shachat, Emmanuel Shachat says, the Jews are Jews at heart. They're called cardiac Jews. The Talmud says, the Jew has to arm imarucha, but amach mitzvah if the Torah, the Yiddishkeit, fills the whole body, it's preserved. The whole Jew is in the heart. It's not good for the heart. It's too much pressure. And it doesn't have any expression. It doesn't have any... And because it doesn't have any expression, it's not preserved, it doesn't last. So there's a, there's, a, there's a disease, there's an illness called, I can do that, it's okay. It's not so terrible. I can do this, I'm still Jewish, I'm still a good Jew. And it's true, you are still a good Jew. But the Altenebi uses the word shaita, it's stupid. Because that act is cutting itself in the Abish, it's defying the Abish, it's weakness, it's vulnerability. Don't fall into the trap as it's not so bad. You don't have to beat up on yourself and tell yourself you're terrible. But live your life minute by minute. And when you live your life minute by minute, it's entirely realistic for a person to say to himself, I can't control myself right now. We all know this to be true. And I remember last year telling you this story. Rab Zalman, our Zalman's grandfather was Reb Mendel. Reb Mendel Futafas. Some of you may have known him, but I figure most... Reb Mendel, his grandfather. His grandfather. Where do you think Zalman's fire comes from? Zalman's a flam fire. He, he inherited all of his grandfather's holiness, power, incredible passion. If you know Zalman, he's an incredible Jew. He's an incredible chassid. Unbelievable. He's a Zayde, right? He's, a, he's, a, he's a very unusual. Even amongst Lubavitch and Shluchim, wow. Zalman is, is a flum fire. His grandfather was that way, Reb Mendel. And there's a story that Reb Mendel used to tell. I did not hear it from him personally, although I did hear him tell some stories. But I heard it from somebody who heard it from him. Reb Mendel spent... 10 years in a slave labor camp in a gulag with a bunch of lowlifes, murderers and criminals of the lowest order. And uh, it was quite a life. <laughs> they called him the righteous man. The tzaddik. They loved him. They respected him. And um, he had to make a life for himself. So they would sit around in the barracks after a day's work and they would talk. They talked about their lives. So the mental was wondering how is he going to make this world, which was so crude, it was so unrefined, how is he going to make it Jewish? Uh, he once told this to us at a Fabreng. He said, everything he heard from these guys, he would learn a lesson. And they would take turns talking about their lives, they had plenty of time to talk, and he would always learn a Yiddishkeit lesson from it. But the Mendel was a chassid. So one of the great Mendel Futafas stories is as follows. He was put on a guard, on a watch, on a frigid winter night in Siberia. And it was certain death. Certain death. 
He was standing out in the cold. He had to stand there eight hours. And he knew he was going to die. People who've experienced dying from cold will tell you it's an incredibly peaceful way to die. You just fall asleep and you don't wake up. So it's incredibly alluring. It's enchanting. You're standing out in the cold and you're freezing. And when your body starts to warm up, that means you're starting to die. So you're drawn into it. So the test is incredible because it's the easy thing to do. Mm-hmm. Problem is, we're not talking about a sin. We're talking about death. Literally. Biological death. Finish. You don't come back. See, so standing out in the cold and he says to himself, I will keep myself alive for five minutes. And he concentrated. He, he with brain power, did not allow himself to give in to that you know, being pulled towards the light, the way they describe near-death experiences, you know, the warmth, it pulls you in. And he did it. He said to myself, I did it for five minutes, I'll do it five minutes more. And he kept himself alive all night. The true story, with a real human being who we knew. His, his willpower was incredible, he was a chassid. What time he's a chassid? He had self-control. Let's not discuss it, it's a personal issue. But he had real self-control. And it literally kept him alive. This al is saying, Don't get depressed. And don't start getting emotional and, and, and hysterical and giving up. Take it five minutes at a time. Okay, you're not this Bainini who has these incredible davenings and then survives till the next time he davens. Take it five minutes at a time. The key is don't tell yourself, I can do this and still be a good Jew. Don't, don't compromise yourself. Remember, Bainim don't have to be inspired, they don't have to be special. They have to control themselves. They have to be disciplined. You could do it. Anybody could do it. And in effect, what Dr. Rebbe is saying, you live your life five minutes at a time, which is all we can do anyway. And you will find that if you focus, you have a lot more control over yourself uh, than you admit. This is one point that he makes. Go ahead. Um, what, uh, 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 Al-Karabah says that Benin um, uh, 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 never seen and never will be seen. So basically, if a person after five minutes control whatever, our control per person sins, he not Benin anymore. Or, uh, I explained to you before that there's two levels of Benin. There's the ideal level of Benin, which is what you said. And there's the practical level of Benin, which is what we're now discussing. It's a much lower level. He's not talking about that ideal Benin. He's saying live for the moment. Be a Benin now. Forget the past. Forget the future. But if I didn't make sure for my uh, past... So you make, first of all, you could make chuba. That's number one. I, I could make sure. Number two, it's not so hard to make chuba. Number two, we're talking about something very different now. We're talking apples and oranges. You're talking about a very high level. A level of Benin. He's talking about an action of Benyani. Right now you could be a Benyani. Forget the past, forget the future. It's a fact. It's very different. But this is what the al point is. You know it's true, I know it's true. But we always think, what's going to happen after the five minutes? That's our mistake. The second point al makes is a very interesting point. He introduces us to the question of hypocrisy which is a point that comes up several times in the Tanya. You know, oh, he's religious. 
What a hypocrite. All religious people are hypocrites. hypocrites. Why do they say religious people are hypocrites? Because why do religious people sin? What do you mean why do religious people sin? For the same reason secular people sin. They have Yitzhahadis. Being religious doesn't mean you're perfect. Being religious means you have a standard. And keeping it ain't easy. So in the Tanya, the, the question of hypocrisy comes up many times. Several times. But here it comes up in a very, very unique way. What kind of person are you? If you get up in the morning, you go to shul, and you fall in love with God. Then you walk out of shul, and you fall in love with the first thing you see on the street. I mean, what kind of Judaism is this? You know, one of the most frustrating things about our lives is the speed at which we can vacillate from being so spiritually tuned in to be so totally spiritually tuned out. It's a fact of life. <laughs> we're religious schizophrenics. We're schizophrenic in the area of religion, and human emotions. We're not. We're healthy people, Baruch Hashem. And this <laughs> conflict, this apparent contradiction, leads to the conclusion: I'm, I'm a messed up person. I walk into the shul. I can. Get, I come to a Tanya class, and I'm so moved. I'm so inspired. Two seconds later, I blow my stack. I get furious at somebody. Or I'm drawn and I get tempted by something which I shouldn't go near. And we sometimes are surprised at how, how vulgar we are. How low we can fall. We, we sometimes are shocked. I could think such thoughts. I could desire such things. I would just pray. And the Alter Rebbe says, there's a word in Hebrew, emes, three little letters, aleph mem sof, truth, integrity. What do we know about truth and integrity? Above all else, it's consistent. Truth and integrity is defined by constancy. The entire definition of the Bainan, he has flux, smooths. He has his prayer time, he has his inspired time, he has his love with God. And he has the rest of the day where he's tempted by money, but he doesn't give in to his temptation. Tempted by materialism, tempted by temptation, doesn't give in. What kind of credibility does the davening of the Bainan have? What kind of emis? What kind of integrity, what kind of truth is there to a person who can so quickly vacillate from being so inspired by God and being inspired by other things? And in general, what kind of integrity is there to loving something if you don't love it? You imagine a man loves his wife two hours out of the day. It's not love. It's a constant thing. It's a state of existence. How could it be that a Jew loves the Abishter periodically when he dominates his love with the Abishter but he doesn't have those other stuff? I'll tell you, there's something inconsistent about it. And he quotes the Pasuk that says, which means anything that's larega, anything that's temporary, here today, gone tomorrow, even when you have it, you don't have it. If it's not consistent, it's a lie. I'll tell you, isn't there a lack of integrity in the personality of a Bainani? Even the Bainani who in fact succeeds, though he's not inspired, he's on, he never sins, he's uncompromised. But how could a human being see themselves as having integrity if emotionally they can bounce around like a billiard ball? So incredibly inspired one moment and so incredibly disinterested emotionally another moment. It seems so, it's such a bumpy ride. What kind of integrity is there in it? Pardon? The actions are consistent, but the person, the emotions... The emo- like I said to you before, yeah? you treat your wife nicely 24 hours a day, but you only love her for two hours. It doesn't work that way. 
the Bainani loves the Abishta two hours out of the day. He's consistent, he's always he always behaves nicely towards the Abishta. He doesn't feel it. He's interested in other things. So the Altarebbe says, the word emes means integrity and truth. But there's another thing about the word emes. That it exists everywhere. There's truth everywhere. There's truth in every level. There's truth in every world. And there's truth in every person. My truth is different than your truth. Your truth is different than her truth. And her truth is different than her truth. What's our truth? Our possibility. Our potential. And because it's true that emes is truth is something that exists everywhere. It exists in every world. It exists on every level. There is truth even to this moody benyamin, to this person in flux, this person who has these incredibly inspired times and these incredibly lean times. Why? Because like you said, number one, he's not sinning, practically speaking. And number two, anytime he wants, he can go back into the shul, open up a siddur, pray again and re-inspire himself. Realistically, he can't pray all day long. But first of all, the fact that he acts consistent and the fact that at any moment he's free to re-inspire himself, so you have, it's the only place in the Tanya where the Altarebbe says, I. He says, I say, I say, the edge of truth is something that's forever. He says, this Benini, he's not a tzaddik, not inspired, so he's not emotionally consistent, but I say that his life, or her life, which is a combination of consistency of action and a possibility to re-inspire themselves at any moment in the world of the Benyani it has integrity for a tzaddik it's inadequate for a tzaddik it would be a shekel it would be a false but in the world of the Benyani it's emes and as the Rabbi Zalman pointed out the Rebbe says Hareini koire, I say Svas emes tikin la'ad va'ad argil shaka the edge of truth stands forever and what's temporary is the shen shekel is false that's the posse that the Rebbe used to say at the end of the davening as you may know, when you finish the Amidah, you're supposed to say a Pasuk, which has to do with the first and last letter of your Hebrew name. Shnei begins with the Shin and ends with the Reish. Sfas Emes, Tikim Ad, Vadagil, Shein Shaker. That's the Pasuk that people who have the name Shnei Zal. I say every day, three times, that the Benyani is Emes. Benyani has integrity, although it's not emotional integrity. It's not uh, in- integrity on a level of inspiration. But it's integrity because it's His Emes. For him it's true. Because he can't do better than that. And because for him it's emes. It's emes. It's true. It has truth. And finally, that Rebbe finishes his entire discussion by saying something very, very interesting. Going back also to the very first words of the Tanya. How did the Tanya begin? Before a person is born, his soul is brought into the, you know, into the soul assembly line and is given a lecture. We don't know who talks to we don't know what and says, swear that you will be righteous and not sinful. You will be righteous and not a sinner. Telling a person, be righteous, not a sinner is like telling a person, be honest, don't lie. It's redundant. If you're being honest, you're not going to lie. If you're not going to lie, you're going to be honest. So why the double vow? Why to say a double lush? Be righteous and don't sin. So what's the simple answer to that question? Because be righteous means... Be inspired. And don't sin means don't be compromised. Right? Be righteous means be a tzaddik. 
and don't sin means be a benini. So every soul is made to swear, be righteous, and don't sin. But every soul hears only a half of it. Those souls who have the capacity to become tzaddikim have to become righteous. That means inspired. And the rest of us who don't have the capacity to become tzaddikim, we hear only the latter half of the vow. Don't sin. <laughs> don't be a sinner, right? In other words, you're not inspired, but don't be compromised. That's how you translate it in Pashtas. So then the question becomes, so divide, divide, make two lines. The tzaddik line, the express, the VIP, the first class, and the regular line. Tzaddikim should swear they'll be tzaddikim. And the rest of us just swear we won't be sinners. I'll be Rosh. offers a very interesting insight. You'll have to wait. He makes a proposal. And his proposal is as follows. You're no tzaddik. You're not expected to be a tzaddik. You're expected to be a bainini. A bainini's life is boom and bust. Right? The poor man. Inspired times and lean times and he survived. Bottom line is the bainini is uncompromised. That's your world. But the Altarebbe says periodically you should try to be a tzaddik. Periodically you should inspire yourself. And inspiration means you should focus on the Ebishter to develop a love for God. And when a person is in love with God, he hates sin. When you don't love God, you don't mind sin. When you're in love with God, you're mayasbara. So the Altarebbe says something very, very interesting. Every soul, including the Bainani, is told be a tzaddik even though the Benini cannot achieve it. The reason he's told to be a tzaddik is as follows. Your baseline, your emes, what you're expected to do is not sin. But the Altar Rebbe says, periodically, you should stop your life and focus on God and inspire yourself. Raise yourself to the mother of tzaddik. Even if it's not real. Even if it can't be sustained. Even if you can't continue it for the rest of your life. In other words, you're not going to become a tzaddik. Do it periodically. Five minutes, I don't know if five minutes is enough. So d- d- one level of it is doing it to become a Benyani, and the other level is doing it to be Moyes This is a higher level. You're not just doing it to be a Benyani, you're doing it to be disgusted by you. And Dr. Rebbe concludes chapter 14 with a radical idea. He says, most of us are born stuck. God predetermines which one of us, which ones of us can become Tzadikim. And that the, remainders of, the remainder of us will not be able to become tzaddikim. He says, if you repeatedly do this exercise of tahit tzaddik, let's say you're a bayani, you're a regular person, with the age that hot on, you're uninspired, and so forth and so on, right? If you decide to consistently do the avoid of tahit tzaddik, it means to say, whatever it is, once a day or once a week, to spend an extended period of time trying to inspire yourself to love Hashem and to hate evil, to try and be a tzaddik, which you aren't. You never know. First of all, you can get so used to doing it, it can become true. And second of all, Allah Rebbe says, if you who are a bainani, in other words, God created you with a soul that does not have to become, the, doesn't have the capacity to become a tzaddik. If you keep making an effort of becoming a tzaddik, God may give you another soul. Ula tzaddik, and you'll, you'll become a new person. Even though the Bainani can never become a tzaddik, that's the definition of the Bainani, it's conceivable that if you repeatedly do the avoid of the tzaddik, which means to say, not just being a good Jew, practically speaking, but insist on being an inspired Jew, knowing that the inspiration isn't you because it passes, 
And when the inspiration passes, you come back the next day and inspire yourself again. You never know. It's possible. If the Ebishto wants, you will never become a tzaddik. He can give you a new soul. And it's conceivable that even somebody that according to the original plan couldn't become a tzaddik should in fact become a tzaddik. And therefore, even the Bainini is told, be righteous. Even though for the Bainini it's not realistic. What's realistic for the Bainini is don't sin. But this is a very, very important so to speak, go away remark. The remark is, first of all, we should know that when we do the best we can, it's called emes. We're good people. As limited as we are, because it's our emes. And second of all, we should try and inspire ourselves. Even if the inspiration is, like you said, it's worth five minutes. Because the inspiration is important. First of all, it keeps us. And second of all, it's good to try and be warm. To develop a love for the Abishtan. And it's conceivable, if you do it long enough and hard enough and sincerely enough, they wish you will metamorphose. You will make you into a new person, and the avoid of tzaddik will become emes. And this is what we did today. We did thirteen and fourteen. Usually, we're doing a chapter a week or less. Today, we did two chapters. Mitzvah next week, we'll do fifteen. One second. Go ahead. Uh, can um, uh, can a uh, uh, sort of tzaddik uh, <clears throat> not become tzaddik when uh, after uh, a person? Of course, he has free will. He has to create the tzaddik. But, but tzaddik uh, doesn't have doesn't have No, no, he's not born that way. He has to kill the yitzchak. It's an avoider. But, but sort of tzaddik doesn't. You said people are only uh, a tzaddikim are not born tzaddikim. They're born with the possibility to be tzaddikim. All of them. There is no tzaddikim born without. Maishar It says nesma labayis kol leidim. Maishar was unusual. But this is only well, true. And when Shammah won the Madrega, Moshe Rabbeinu, didn't see him. The leaders of the generation <laughs> say. My question is when you're talking about a new soul, right. is it a new, like a soul of another tzaddik or a next level of a soul? I'm sorry? No, it's not your soul, it's somebody else's. Another soul. There's Nefesh in the Shammah, it's a long story. Most of us, the only part of the neshama which is revealed is nefesh. Ruach and neshama are hidden. So if you're born with a ruach, it's hidden. You can't change that. Mm. You get a different but ruach. But if you, I, I read that if you rectify uh, nefesh, let's say, then you are given ruach. Yeah, but you have to have Sometimes. the capacity to rectify Sometimes you die. Sometimes you are given ruach. You have to have the capacity to rectify nefesh. Of course. Okay, and a tzaddik does. A benini doesn't. That's the difference. The tzaddik is always busy with nefesh. And when this tzaddik, this benyani, I'm sorry, the benyani is always busy with nefesh. When this benyani, by doing the avoid of the tzaddik, actually becomes a tzaddik, it's not his ruach, it's a different ruach. Because his ruach is hidden. Yeah. One other tzaddik.